Why do so many young people leave the church when they graduate from high school? Some surveys suggest as many as 9 out of 10 are leaving. Other surveys suggest that knowledge of the Bible is at an all-time low in the United States. Today, some shocking information, but also some good answers. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is a scholar, author, and speaker who addresses spiritual and cultural issues of concern to all of us. And Pat has interesting and informative resources at his website, evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find articles, books, interviews, and past radio shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Recently, Pat appeared on a syndicated radio show called Point of View, hosted by Kirby Anderson, to discuss the need for discernment in today's culture and trends. Today, you'll hear part two of highlights from that program. And now, to introduce Pat Zuckerman, here's Kirby Anderson. If you are just joining us, we're talking about the issue of discernment, but in particular, concerning about how we as Christians and as the church have become conformed to the culture, how oftentimes we're allowing various issues of the culture to infiltrate the church, and how to understand that from a historical point of view, to look at secularism, and uh, maybe even this hour we'll get into the issue of postmodernism. All of those issues on the table today, and let's uh, take another phone call. We'll go first to Ohio and talk to Dan. Dan, thank you for calling today. Hi, thank you for having me on the air. I have a concern, kind of a question how we as Christians can engage the culture without coming off as cheap imitators. I remember when American Idol came out, uh, right afterwards, uh, Christian Idol came out, and it seemed like a cheap knockoff version, and, <laughs> and uh, VeggieTales, well, all the great things they've done, the, the uh, original creator of VeggieTales went bankrupt trying to create a Christian version of Disneyland. How can we uh, engage a culture without coming off as second-rate imitators? Well, I think the, uh, the, the best answer to that question is to simply look to the first, second, third century church. You know, this was a, this was a, a small demographic minority that lived in the midst of arguably the most pagan, most heathen, most uh, vile culture the world has ever seen, and yet they were able to transform that culture over a period of about 300 years through several means. They subverted the pagan ideas and converted them to Christian ideas. Uh, they created an alternative culture, a superior culture that drew the attention of the world around it. Um, and, and they created elites that could move into the commanding heights of culture to achieve these transformations. Um, so we don't need to look like the culture. We need to bring to bear the culture of the kingdom, uh, which is the superior alternative. It is, it is the restoration of of the way culture and the world is intended to be and the way it will one day be when it is complete when Christ returns again. It is a foretaste of what is to come. I might come to Pat, too, because the title of your most recent book, The Apologetics of Jesus, you and Dr. Geisler put that together, and it uh, gives us a model because as we look at how Jesus interacted with the culture, even answering the questions that came from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even honest seekers and skeptics, that gives us a model, too, doesn't it? Yes, you know, Jesus was a sound thinker, the greatest philosopher that ever lived, you know, and for many philosophy or being a critical thinker is a negative thing. Well, look at Jesus. He was able to address the issues of his day and answer them using good reason and evidence, you know, to present his case. And, you know, I like what the caller just said, you know, uh, we need to teach our young people um, the Christian worldview, 
so that they can use their energy and their creativity, you know, to lead the way of the culture and not follow the culture. And when you understand the Christian worldview, you know how to engage the arts and literature and media like we have here in radio. And instead of, you know, following the culture, use that creativity for the glory of God. And that that, that means more than just putting Bible verses on coffee cups, right? <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> Let's, if we can, for just a minute before I take another phone call, talk about postmodernism, because we did a program just recently where it was kind of a teaching program, the whole program, two hours, postmodernism, what it was. <clears throat> I would assume that some of our listeners might remember that, but I'll redefine it again. It is uh, after looking at this modern world, especially influenced by the Enlightenment, and as Michael points out, about three or four centuries worth of this. Now some people are rejecting the idea of a modern world and instead are having this idea in a postmodern world that you have your view of truth and I have my view of truth. You have your view of religion. I have my view of religion. Everybody has their own view of ethics and morality. Michael, you've addressed that in your book as well because you recognize that not only are we being influenced simultaneously by secularism, we're also being influenced by postmodernism. We've had Nancy Piercy on with her new book in which she talks about about those two strains as well. And uh, we need to understand that influence. And it's, I think, really taken the young people by hold as well. It has. I think there's a multitude of cultural influences that have shaped our thinking in ways that we are completely unaware of. And, and, and te- it tends to be because we have such a short-sighted view of history. We seem to view the world within the limitations of our own lifespans, as if you know, we're looking for changes that occur that are visible to us, But we have to understand, all of us were born into a culture that was already changed. Uh, What we're seeing is the natural progression of those previous changes that have already been made. The church's response is to recognize the origins of those changes going back, if it takes several centuries, and, and to figure out and ask this question, why did it change? Did it actually overtake the church, or did the church abandon its role in the culture? And I would argue it is it is decisively the latter. It certainly is. Pat, what have you run into when the word postmodernism comes up? I know that you've run into that with various students that you've interacted with over the years. Yes, you know, it came out of really the failure of the Enlightenment ideas, of the modernist ideas that would uh, people hoped would lead us into some kind of utopia, that science, uh, Dewey's educational system, and all these ideas from the Enlightenment and modern Uh, philosophies would lead us into some kind of utopia. Only thing we've discovered, it led us into a uh, universe uh, void of meaning, of hope, of significance. It has not brought, uh, uh, you know, this utopia to us. And so suddenly now, uh, with the disillusionment of the modern ideas, now we're embracing some ideas that represent what we call the postmodern culture. And for that, I see you know, quite dominant is, you know, Darwinism, uh, relativism, uh, the new and dangerous tolerance, you know, the tolerance that says all views are equally valid and true. Therefore, to say that your view is right and mine is wrong, that's being intolerant. And we can no longer engage in that kind of conversation and pluralism. So you see these ideas not only dominating our culture, but infiltrating into the church. And you'll be surprised how many uh, Christians, not only young people, but adults, 
embrace those four ideologies. Interesting. Let's mention the fact that you are a talk show host of Evidence and Answers, and that website is another place where people can download podcasts. Talk about that if you might. Right, evidenceandanswers.org, and I have the privilege of interviewing some of the top scholars from all over the world, including the two around this table, but also um, names you may recognize, like Norman Geisler and Ron Rhodes. We talk about Islam, uh, the ideas of the culture, medical ethics, creation, evolution, a whole host, over 100 shows that you can download and listen to from the top scholars around the world. Michael, Center for Christ and Culture, you have a commentary. I look for it every Monday morning. So tell us how we can get a copy of that in our inbox every Monday. Uh, Visit my website at battlefortruth.org, and you can sign up to receive what is called the Truth and Culture Weekly, which is my uh, weekly commentary on cultural and theological events that are unfolding. And it is never a good Monday until I've had a chance to read your commentary. (laughs) Mark, thank you for calling today. Oh, Thanks for having me. I was just calling because I was very concerned. Uh, One of you gentlemen made a comment that what we need is more than the Bible. And that concerns me because I think that way of thinking is part of the problem. Actually, that's most of the problem. Because most churches are what are so-called churches that you go to today that I've been a part of in the past. Uh, You go to church on Sunday morning and hear a 20-minute or a half-hour sermon that's just stories to make people feel good. And nobody's really learning the Bible, and that's why 70 to 90 percent of the young people leave the church when they leave the home and don't have a biblical view, a biblical worldview, because they haven't learned the Bible. From the Bible comes a biblical worldview. I don't see how you can separate the two and say we need more than the Bible to teach somebody a a biblical worldview. That's the whole problem in our country. Well, I don't, are I don't, trying to get I don't, more than the Bible. I don't think anybody said that uh, we need learn. more than the Bible. Um, I think what was emphasized is that we, I mean, what the Bible teaches us, and what the Bible does is it develops a greater understanding of the world in which we live, what is our mission in this world. And from that investigation, from that study of the Bible, God has given to the church teachers, leaders, uh, scholars who have who have then developed even further ideas to help the church, the body of Christ as a whole, um, uh, illuminate and apply these deeper truths of the Bible. I don't think anyone here said that what we need is something more than the Bible. But I think there is an issue there, and that is a lot of young people hear these stories, these so-called Bible stories, and I've uh, chatted with some people that have said, well, that means they're not true, or they're just stories, and after a while, again, it's that kind of that truncated gospel. Instead of saying that the Bible and a biblical worldview applies to every area of life, it tends to seem rather irrelevant, and or you tend to leave, uh, live in that kind of uh, segmented society or culture that uh, we were talking about, where the Bible relates to what I do inside the church, what I do with my family, but it has no relevance at all to business and commerce and politics and government and philosophy and the uh, interaction of the rest of our society. Well, I think it also can breed a sort of uh, a form of separatism and and uh, and lead to an ignorance of the world around us. And the greatest counter to that would be the Apostle Paul uh, with his encounter uh, with the, the Athenians. I mean, this was, this was a, a man who was clearly schooled in pagan philosophy. He understood how the pagans thought 
and, and spoke. He employed their language. In fact, he employed their language in a very subversive way, leading them to believe that he was speaking in terms consistent with their own understanding, only to lead them to a new understanding rooted in a biblical worldview. Uh, but he could not have done that had he not invested the time to really understand to whom he was speaking. Interesting. Pat, you've looked at those issues as well. Yes, you know, the Bible tells us the truth. We need to know about God and salvation to understand the world around us. But there is a lot of truth outside of the Bible as well that we call from general revelation. And we get that from Romans chapter 1 where Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So through general revelation, we can discover great truths about God as well through the sciences, uh, through good reason philosophy, through literature, through art, through understanding human nature, things that the Bible may not expound upon, great truths that are out there from general revelation. And also, as Michael mentioned, you know, as the gospel went out of a, a Jewish context, as uh, the gospel began to spread throughout the world, Paul comes to Athens now in Acts chapter 17, and he's beginning to interact with the top scholars in the Greek world there on Mars Hill. And in his presentation of the gospel with people who don't know the Old Testament, he is interacting with the Epicureans who are, you know, practical atheists. They thought the uh, uh, goal of life was pleasure and Stoics who are pantheists. What does he do there? Well, he, as Michael mentioned, he quotes two Greek philosophers there, Epimenides and Aristarchus there. And what we need to show our young people is uh, not only the understanding of biblical truth, but how to engage the ideas out there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, um, we demolish every pretension, you know, the strongholds that are out there, the false ideas that keep people from coming to Christ. Remember, the, the gospel doesn't, is not preached in isolation. It's preached in the context of a culture and its ideas. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, often you've got to demolish those strongholds, those false ideas that keep people from taking seriously your message of the gospel. And that comes from not only understanding the Bible, but the ideas that are out there as well. Well, in fact, in nowhere in Scripture does, does the Bible celebrate wanton ignorance of the world. Uh, what, the, what the Bible encourages us to do is to exercise dominion over the world. You can't possibly exercise dominion if you have no understanding of the world. Let's take another phone call, and we will go to uh, WAGP in South Carolina, and we'll talk to Erica. Erica, thank you for calling today. Oh, thank you for taking my call. I so appreciate everything um, that you do and, and what you guys are talking about. Um, after uh, 10 years of kind of spinning my wheels in public school, um, God uh, has blessed my, my husband and I with a little baby boy. He's uh, four months old. And also in his sovereignty, we're in a church that actually preaches the Word of God. And I tell you, it's such a difference. And when you were speaking of being salt and light, you know, when you see a family that is imperfect but truly uh, seeking the Lord and wanting the full truth and applying that and teaching their children, there's a difference. Um, it's like suddenly, the, aha, the light bulb went off. This was the problem after 10 years. You know, you can't um, legislate a child's conscience apart from truth. 
so um, I just I, I, I'm grateful and just so thankful that we live in this time where we do have these resources as parents and that um, we don't have to continue along the same lines. Well, I was just thinking about an irony because it goes back to Mark's comment just a minute ago. We have more resources than we've ever had before, and yet we have the highest level of biblical illiteracy. Now, that's not me speaking. You can uh, go to Back to the Bible, and uh, there is a book that came out a number of years ago called The Good Book. And uh, that illustrated, I think, to any fair-minded person that we have levels of biblical illiteracy that may be unprecedented. And so here we have the interesting contradiction between having more Bibles, more Bible software, more Bible seminaries and colleges and study uh, aids and everything, and yet we're more illiterate about the Bible than ever before. Yeah, what was the uh, the recent uh, study that revealed the most commonly known Bible verse among Christians was, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's disturbing on several levels. Yes. Not only is it not in the Bible, I need to clarify that, maybe. Yes, please. But, uh, but, but theologically, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, if, you don't, if that doesn't strike you immediately, then you, you don't even understand the gospel. <laughs> yeah, Erica, you know, thanks for your call. You're, you're what is encouraging to the Christian church in the West. People like you that says, you know, we want more than just to feel good and to be entertained on Sunday. We want solid biblical teaching, and we want to raise our children with an understanding of the Christian worldview and uh, the desire to, to learn and develop the Christian mind, you know, something that was lost, is, is what is so encouraging. And that's what a great trend I'm, I'm seeing in many people uh, saying, I want a church that's going to teach meat. I'm tired of this, you know, entertainment kind of church, and, and that's what is encouraging. And the fact that you want to pass it on to your children and for you know, if your children are going to the public schools, uh, that's great. You need to be involved in their education. When they come home and say, Mom, Dad, you know what we learned today in biology? Darwinism. Now, that seems to contradict Genesis. Well, you know, that's where uh, parents who understand the Christian worldview can apply Second Corinthians 10.5, destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Not only, you know, you don't want to just say, well, the Bible says and that's it. You know, ignore Darwinism. It'll go away. Well, it's not. You need to uh, be able to go in there and understand, hear the flaws of Darwinian evolutionary thought. Hear how it, here's why it's contrary to biblical thinking. Okay? And to be able to give reasons why you believe in and the flaws in things like Darwinism. Uh, how many students, you know, I was teaching on American church history. How many students say, well, the Puritans came purely for economic reasons. There was nothing religious and they came for money. <laughs> you know, the Civil War, uh, I was speaking in a church in Hawaii, and the Christians were upset. They said the Civil War was fought over money. You know, the North was industrialized, the South wasn't. The North wanted uh, to make more money, and that's why they went to war. It's purely economic reasons, you know, to be able to understand American history and to go in there and say, no, uh, you know, here's what it was all about, to be able to dispel those kinds of myths. And uh, parents, you're the first ones who are going to be teaching and leading your children in that arena. So again, not only historical illiteracy, but in some of those cases, actually historical revisionism that took place in the textbooks at the early part of the 20th century. Curry, let me tell you another story. You know, I was in a church out uh, on the West Coast, and when I was done, I was talking about how Christianity's influence, been a major influence in Western civilization, and people in the congregation were saying, no, what our founding fathers wanted was freedom from religion. 
getting religion out of the government. That's what they wanted. They never. It, it wasn't, you know, about being a Christian government or anything like that. It was getting religion completely out of the government. That's what they wanted. And what George Bush did and other presidents, you know, that was wrong. That's not what our founding fathers wanted. And I said, well, have you ever read the Declaration of Independence? You know, and they were a little bit quiet. And I said, Declaration of Independence, the part we know reads like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I said, creator, creation, God-given moral absolutes. I said, where in the world did that come from? And they just kind of threw up their hands in the air. And I said, it came right from the Bible. You know, you can't deny the Christian foundations. And it wasn't freedom from religion. It's freedom of religion. Of course, if you don't quote the Declaration accurately, and our president a couple of times has left out the word creator when he's quoted it, maybe that just reinforces some of that secularism. Michael, before we go to the next call, because I do want to go to Katie up there in Alaska, you just came back from the LIFT program, and we've had uh, Jim Hammond on this program before. It's one of these really excellent programs. There's the LIFT program in New York, and there is the Canicut Institute in uh, Missouri, and there is the Forge in Texas and other places, which take in most cases, college graduates and really prepare them for the world. Sometimes they are in college, but nevertheless, you spend some time interacting with young people, but you find that you can make one or two statements and have every hand go up. And one of those is just that Western culture is superior. Yeah, yeah, that'll immediately bring the conversation to That's a something. halt. Yeah, and, and what you begin to discover, and of course I do that intentionally, and what you begin to discover is that you're, you're speaking to a generation of young people, including Christian young people, who have been inculcated with a set of, of ideas, uh, typically secular, secular, typically liberal, t- typically um, Enlightenment-type ideas that are anti-Western, anti-nationalistic, um, anti-capitalistic. They're profoundly socialist. They don't know it. Um, and, and they've been indoctrinated with these ways of thinking, and they have successfully blended these with their Christian faith, and thinking that these are the moral positions that Christians should take on these matters. Uh, again, revealing what we've been talking about, it's just a, a, a dearth of understanding Christianity's role in interpreting our understanding of these aspects of life and culture. And I've watched that when you write certain articles, which again, we're encouraging people to find out about, I'll give, give the websites again in just a minute, uh, certain parts of your commentaries generate an enormous amount of response, and uh, you can find them in Crosswalk and other places where they will actually post those, and you will sometimes uh, the next week say, oh, I can't believe all the letters I got and all the comments, and you'll even interact with some of those. And there are times when, uh, to be candid, I do tend to shake my head while I'm looking at my computer screen, just saying, yeah. is that the response we're getting from what you would have to assume, again, are thinking Christians? It's just a little bit like we started the program with the Al Mohler blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody's reading Al Mohler. Not everybody's reading Michael Craven. And so you would say this this would be a, uh, if you had a pyramid, this would be the top part here. These would be the people that took the time to sign up, took the time to read, and then took the time to write back. That, that puts you in a pretty narrow group of individuals, and yet nevertheless, when you hear those comments, you say, if this is even close to representative of the rest of the body of Christ, we've got some problems. Well, and to be honest, there are times when it it, it becomes so discouraging uh, (laughs) that that I just... I just bow my head in frustration and and just feel like, Lord, are we just hopeless? 
Because what I get back are opinions and ideologies. Very infrequently do I ever receive anything that is rooted in any sound theological argument that disagrees with what I'm writing. It's emotional opinions. It It is ideological opinions that have nothing to do with sound biblical theology. I think it brings us back, Michael, to just an obvious consequence. Um, in a lot of youth programs, and all of us around the table have spoken at them, and Pat's been a youth pastor, uh, there's a lot of fun and games. Nothing wrong with entertainment. But if indeed you aren't preparing your young people for the fact that they're going to engage in a war, an intellectual war, and in a sense see that as a boot camp, sooner or later you're setting them up to fail. Yeah, pizza discipleship uh, <laughs> or theotainment. And what I have discovered, and I think you probably have all experienced this, is is when you sit down with people, young people especially, and begin to have or attempt to have a, an intelligent conversation, it, 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 there's some resistance in the beginning, but eventually they will settle in, and what they are so sick and tired of is being patronized and treated as if they're stupid. They want to talk about the real world, they want to talk about real life, and they want to talk about how this faith makes a difference in both of those. And what we're not doing in our churches is is we're not making disciples out of young people. We're entertaining them to death. Uh, We're not equipping them with any solid theological foundation. We're sending them out as lambs to slaughter. And they are being slaughtered in droves. The church knows this. They've been taught this. They've read all the statistics. And yet we keep doing the same things over and over and over. And it just drives me crazy. Same thing over and over and expecting different results. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Insanity. You've been listening to Evidence and Answers with highlights of Pat Zuckerman's appearance on the syndicated program, Point of View. And we want to invite you to download this whole series on discernment in today's culture at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. So we often say you'll find resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at evidenceandanswers.org. We also invite you to support us financially. Your stewardship and giving to this ministry helps keep evidence and answers on this station and keeps Pat speaking on these crucial issues all over the world. We think you'll agree that today, more than ever, people need biblical answers to their questions about God and His love for us and the evidence to support those answers. So please let us hear from you today. Just click the donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers.